listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, good morning. The, uh, it's very interesting. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of John. We're going to be looking at John chapter 10, where Christ gives the message of uh, where he says, I am the good shepherd. And it, I thought it was neat. Uh, and this is completely unplanned from a human perspective, but obviously had God's hand on it when you sort of put together the worship music and the passage of scripture uh, that Pastor Jason read. But I was struck by the fact we sang the reckless love of God and it speaks of him leaving the 99. That's that same picture of the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to find the one that's been lost. And uh, and then Pastor Jason read from John chapter 9, which was not one of the uh, the chapters that we were covering in this series in the book of John, but it, it's a perfect setup for what we're going to be talking about uh, today. So God is good even when we're, we're maybe not quite as organized as all that. So we're going to be looking at the Good Shepherd, and it uh, just made me think about the fact that not all of us in our 21st century world are, are that familiar with sheep and, and herding and farming and all those kinds of things. And when my wife and I were first married, we had uh, friends, we've continued to be with friends with them over the years, but um, they, uh, the wife was from suburban uh, New York City, from Long Island, and uh, it happened to one of the times she and Jody went to a little like uh, county fair, and they were looking at this little field that had sheep and goats in it, and she turns to Jody and says, uh, I, I don't know, you know that much about farming and stuff, but I do know that the goats are the males and the sheep are the female. So considering there wasn't a lot of laughter there, I'm gonna guess that maybe some of you didn't know that as well, but we're gonna work on this together though. I have um, a little quiz for you to get started today. And uh, we're going to do this Jeopardy style. So we're going to have a statement that goes up on the screen. If you know the answer to it, after I read it, you're going to throw your hand up in the air. I'm going to call on you and you're going to give back, you know, Jeopardy style. You're going to give the question uh, that goes with it. So are we ready? And I actually have candy for you. This isn't just because I'm hungry. So this is good. All right. Number one, this female childhood hero saw that her sheep was educated. Teresa? Teresa? Well, how do you do that in the term, form of a question? What is Mary? Who is Mary? There we go. All the way, oh, almost all the way back there. Uh, number two, a sheep finds this completely natural while you and I might find it itchy. Yes. What is wool? What is wool? Yes, there we go. Oh, that was really good. <laughs> that wasn't the candy hitting Reagan back there. It was a picture. Um, Number three, this is what they do when they take the wool off a sheep. Right here. What is shearing? Yes, there we go. I'm going to call on people in the front. It's less dangerous. Um, (laughs) This instrument carried by a shepherd also is used to describe a bank robber. Yes, Terry? What is a crook? Yes, there we go. Uh, Number five, this expression means that someone is not as innocent as they seem. Right here? No? Right here, Tara. What is a wolf in sheep's clothing? Nice. All right, number six, for those that grew up in church, this Sunday school chorus was written to drive parents crazy. Nobody? Nobody? Nope. 
Not even close, as a matter of fact. No, uh, I just want to be a sheep. Bah, bah. No one's saying that when they were kids? Come on, man. Oh, Lordy. All right, number seven. 10 miles of yarn can be made from this much wool. Guess? 10 miles? Yes. No? Nope. 10 miles of yarn can be made from this much wool. Yes. Uh, nope. But it is one, one pound of wool, so I'm going to give it to you, okay? Because I got to get rid of this candy. <laughs> Number eight. This term is used to describe a sheep that has gotten stuck on its back or its side. This is like a doozy. This is like you got to pull out your phone and look it up. Nobody? This uh, is what is cast. I always like Alex Trebek, like he's really smart, you know, like, that. yeah, I know that one. Of course, somebody gave it to me, but anyway. Number nine, this World War I president kept a herd of sheep on the White House lawn. Yes. Nope. After him. Anybody else? Yes. Woodrow Wilson. Yes, there we go. Tara's going to be all sugared up. Uh, and then number 10, last one, the meat of an older sheep is called this. Yes? What is mutton? Yes. Tara was actually like a Jeopardy champion back in the day. So we're going to be looking at chapter 10 of uh, John. And this builds completely, the only way to understand it is to understand what's been written about in chapter 9. And uh, what happens in chapter 9, as Jason read, this man who is born blind is healed by Jesus. And the Pharisees, who are the religious Jewish leaders of the day, had three problems with this. One was this idea that this guy was just getting what he deserved anyway, so why should anybody step in and act in that situation? Two, they feel like Christ violated the Sabbath uh, by doing work on the Sabbath, so obviously that was a problem with it. And three, they got so angry about it, they actually kicked this guy out of the, the uh, uh, temple, which essentially was like excommunicating him, which in the Jewish culture of its day was this huge deal. So Christ gives chapter 10 as a response to that. And he does so in the form of three analogies that we're going to look at. And the first of those analogies can be found in verses one through five. And uh, it's the analogy of the sheep, I mean, the shepherd versus the robbers. So let's read together John chapter 10, verses one through five. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers." So I described these three analogies that are in this passage, and the whole idea of, his analogy, of an analogy is sort of a word picture that helps us grab some kind of particular truth from it. In, in our world today, we don't necessarily even understand what the analogy is about, and I was in the same category that you're probably in when I thought, what in the world is a sheep pen? What's a sheepfold? 
And I actually had to look it up, and I have a picture of it coming up here uh, from uh, that James has. This will give you an idea of what it was like. It was a, and there were many different forms that they took in that time period, but it would have been made out of stone or brick. It would have been an enclosure, and the whole idea of it is the shepherd would have brought their sheep into this enclosure at night where they would be safe from uh, robbers or they would be safe from wild animals that might seek uh, to eat them. Uh, at the one entrance that it had, there would have been a gatekeeper, a person who was responsible for making sure that all the sheep stayed inside and that nobody came in that was not supposed to be coming in. The, um, the role that the shepherd had that was interesting with these sheep pens is that several shepherds would use the same sheep pen. They would all bring their sheep to that pen and drop them off there in the evening and then pick them up uh, the next day. There's a few things to note, though, in this passage so that we understand it more, more. The first truth is that the shepherd uses the door, but the robbers come over the wall. So this is Christ's response, again, to what happened in, in chapter 9. So if we think of it as you and I being the sheep, uh, Jesus is comparing the uh, Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders, to the robbers. Yes, they're coming for the sheep, but not for good purposes, they might even look like shepherds, but in the end, they really do not care for the sheep. That's what the Pharisees of that day were like. They were all about the rules of religion. They could tell you everything that was stated in the law and then some. They had all these Talmudic writings that actually added to what was in the law and you were supposed to, if you were gonna be a, uh, a good uh, follower of God, you needed to follow these rules and all the extra rules that they had. But we have to remember that a robber's primary purpose is to take what doesn't belong to him or to her. That's exactly what these Pharisees were trying to do. They were taking the people and in effect, taking them away from the standards that God really desires. You can remember those. Just think about Micah 6.8, right? It says, what does God ask of you? to uh, act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God expects from them, and yet they were gonna add all these rules to it instead. And then that passage goes on and describes this idea that the shepherd, so the shepherd would show up in the morning and call out his sheep, and his sheep would recognize his voice and go out with him. And I thought, well, you know, can that really be true? Is that the way it really works? And so just to prove this, we have a little video for you just to show what it's like when a shepherd calls their sheep. So it's real, guys, all right? Um, so uh, that picture of what happens in the morning, the shepherd would show up at the sheep pen again, call his sheep out, and there, his sheep would follow that particular shepherd, the ones that only belonged to them, and the other sheep would wait for the next shepherd that came along that was their shepherd. And it says that the, sh uh, the shepherd leads them out we see that in uh, verse, um, verse four, the, she the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And it's this picture of the same way that God is with us, right? We respond to him because we know we can trust him. We recognize his voice and then we follow him. He leads us and then we follow. He doesn't drive us out before him, isn't forcing us in the direction that we go. It's, that's why this analogy, this picture of the uh, shepherd is so powerful. Uh, it's the exact way that we are with Christ. 
And the third thing in this analogy that I want us to see is it says in verse five, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And we saw that a little bit in the video. The sheep just didn't respond to those uh, other voices, right? They didn't respond to those voices of strangers. And it says here in scripture that they'll actually flee or move away from uh, those people that they don't recognize. And again, it's like what we're supposed to be with God. We are uh, following him. We're following his voice. And those other voices, those strangers that are trying to distract us from it, uh, we're supposed to flee from that. And I thought a little bit about it you know, obviously understanding it from the, the picture that Christ has given, part of what his understanding of strangers were these religious leaders that were actually trying to pull people away from God, the Pharisees of their time. Uh, but what are the Pharisees of today? You know, maybe it's still this idea of people that expect us to have a certain set of rules that we follow rather than simply being in a relationship with God or maybe it's other kinds of things in life that are trying to distract you, uh, trying to pull you away from your walk, your following God. Uh, maybe it's the pursuit of wealth. Um, not necessarily being rich, but just always wanting to have a little bit more than you have right now and the, the things that you'll do to pursue that. Or... Um, Maybe it's just simply wanting to have ease in one's life of just doing everything I can to be able to take it easy and be chill. I'll do that and, and not have to follow God the way that I, I should be. Or maybe it's dealing with things that are addictions in our lives, whether it's uh, alcohol or, or drugs perhaps or uh, pornography or whatever it is. Things that are, again, that are, are strangers that are trying to pull us away from God. And uh, this passage is just a reminder that we are to be like those sheep following our shepherd. The second analogy that is given in this passage is that of the door. So the first analogy was this, the shepherd versus the robbers. The second analogy is the, uh, the door. And we see this beginning in verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this is a little bit of a different analogy. Uh, you, if you looked at verse six, you understood that the people listening to him, which were the Pharisees, the disciples, and others, didn't really understand that first analogy. So he, he wants to try to explain it a little bit further. And his analogy here is the idea of being the door. And remember that sheep pen picture that we started with? It was the idea of a structure that had a single opening. And in that opening, there was a door or a doorway. And Christ is saying, I am like that door. Uh, every morning, the sheep, when they were in that pen at night, they were safe, uh, they were warm, they were protected from robbers, uh, but they weren't gonna wanna spend all day in there because there was nothing to graze on, there was no sources of water, they wanted to run around and frolic in the fields and none of that would be available inside that sheep pen. So when the shepherd led them out in the morning, led them through that door, that door took them to uh, meeting the, the very essentials of life. And Jesus Christ is just like that for us as well. Our most basic need that we have as human beings is to have our relationship filled with Christ, with God. The void that we have, the emptiness that we have inside us can only be filled with him. It's our desperate need that we have as human beings. And the same process, that door was the way in at night when those sheep needed protection. 
And again, Jesus Christ is like that for us as well. When our lives, when we're dealing with the difficult stuff of life and, and things want to attack us and, and life is hard, he's that door again that takes us into a place of safety where God wants us to be. And it goes on uh, towards the end of that section in verse 10. And it talks about this, uh, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life he's talking about there is eternal life. And remember, the, the punishment for sin is death. Death was a consequence of the fall. So when man chose, and uh, when Adam chose to sin, Adam and Eve, uh, the world fell because of it. Um, and death was the consequence of that fall. It was not God's plan for human beings when he created us. We were created to live forever in relationship with him. But man's choice to sin changed that plan. God cannot have sin in his presence, and therefore man was separated from him. However, God was committed to doing whatever it took to give man the opportunity to have a relationship with him again. That's what Christ has done for us. He came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, and therefore could be the sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. When we accept his free gift, our relationship with God is restored. So Jesus is very much the door leading to eternal life because he is the means, the only means through which our relationship with God is restored, right? There's only one door in that sheep pen and it's through that door that those sheep reached the location where they would be fed and watered and so on. But this passage doesn't just say that we'll have life. It says we'll have life abundantly. And the idea of this is that it's not just sort of this pie in the sky, eternal life kind of thing that eventually someday that we're gonna have. He's promised us abundant life in this world. So what in the world does that mean? Um, I'm gonna tell you one thing it doesn't mean. The abundant life does not mean a life of abundance, okay? Uh, when you turn on the TV, oftentimes either late night or on Sunday mornings, there are these televangelists there and they um, have what's called a prosperity gospel. And it's this idea that, you know, if we're gonna have a life of abundance as Christians, the whole, the whole way that we know we've been recognized, blessed, accepted by God is that he's somehow given us extra wealth uh, and uh, that prosperity is a sign of God's blessing. That's not what this is talking about. In fact, the prosperity gospel is, is evil. Um, when you look at the word abundant and you look at what it means, it gives us a little bit of a better sense of what it's about. Um, the Strong's Concordance defines abundant as being superior, extraordinary, surpassing, or uncommon. So I created a definition of my own for the abundant life. And it's a life, that's, it's a life with purpose that is lived with joy. Amen. Let's break that down just a little bit. It's a life with purpose. So when I accept Christ as Savior and I become a follower of him, my life takes on this purpose. And that purpose is to be his hands and feet in this world, to uh, take on those good works to which he's called us to, which is what Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 uh, talks about. Our calling, our purpose as believers is to make a difference in this world for his kingdom, for his sake. And that, that gives your life a kind of purpose that's so different from the emptiness that we find in the world around us today. People that are just pursuing uh, money or wealth, 
uh, people that are just pursuing pleasure and what they are trying to get out of life, uh, people that are pursuing things that are taking them the wrong directions in their life. And God said, I've called you to something so much higher and so much better than that. I've called you to live a life that's lived with purpose. And the second part of that is lived with joy. Joy is this kind of contentment or satisfaction with life um, that is sort of outside or separate from the circumstances we find ourselves in. So God's not promised us a life of happiness when we come to follow him. There's plenty of examples, and your own lives will probably mimic that as well. There's so many times in life where our circumstances tell us that we should be unhappy. And yet what God's called us to is a life of joy that despite those circumstances, despite those things that are happening, I can find myself in a place of peace and contentment because I know that my life has a purpose and it's being lived with a kind of joy that isn't able to be explained by the world. There's a great quote from Charles Stanley in this. He says, to live the abundant Christian life is to allow Jesus to live his life through us His love motivates and empowers us so we obey him out of joy and thankfulness. Now I want to move on to the third analogy. Third analogy is that of the good shepherd. And it starts in verse 11, verses 11 through 16. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Four things that I want to get out of this analogy, and I want you to get out of this analogy as well. One is that the good shepherd gives up his life for his sheep. I was thinking about uh, stories of shepherds in the Bible, and the story of David in the Old Testament uh, came to mind. So he went on and became a great king. But before he was crowned king, when he was uh, living at home as one of the uh, younger brothers in his family, he was, his responsibility was to be the shepherd for the family, to take care of the family's flocks. And the description in the Bible is that he put his life on the line. He defended his flocks against the attack of a bear. Uh, he defeated a lion, killed a lion that was also seeking to attack uh, the uh, flocks of uh, sheep. That's a little bit of the idea of what the shepherd would do to put his life on the line. I was thinking about that, though. How does Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd, how does he give up his life for the sheep? Or really, two ways. One, before Christ came to earth, he was with God the Father. He was in heaven. He was in glory. He was in the position that he deserved to have. He'd been the creator of the universe. He was, uh, he was in a position where the angels gave him glory. And it says in Philippians chapter 2 that he didn't count that being equal with God something to be grasped or held on to. But instead, he gave that up and he came down to earth. And he took on the form of a human being. We sort of like our form sometimes, right? You know, we sort of think we're pretty good and all that. But this was an emptying of himself to become like we are, to live life in this fallen, broken, messed up world in a frail human body. That's the first way that Christ gave up, the good shepherd gave up his life for his sheep. 
Then the second way is quite literally, right? At the end of his time of ministry here on earth, the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities uh, conspire to have Christ crucified. And in that crucifixion, which they thought was their plan, was part of God's purpose for it. Because in that moment of crucifixion, while he's hanging on the cross, God takes all the sins of the world and he pours them out on Christ. And in that moment, because Jesus had lived a sinless, perfect life, he becomes the sacrifice that we needed. He paid the price that all of us deserve to pay uh, to pay for those sins that each of us has committed. And very much in that moment of literal death for Christ, he's given up his life as the good shepherd for his sheep. Second part of this analogy, it's this concept of the contrast between the shepherd and the hired hand. Um, So the idea was that the shepherd, the good shepherd, truly cares for his sheep, and the hired hand, when trouble strikes, that hired hand is going to cut and run. It's not gonna stick around and defend the sheep. And again, this was written in context of the Pharisees, right? So this is Christ's admonition against them, essentially saying, hey, the Pharisees who set themselves up like their shepherds are really like these hired hands. If things get tough, they're going to cut and run. But I was thinking a little bit about it because this is really true in our world today. The scriptures that describe our pastors and our spiritual leaders as being under shepherds. So like the good shepherd is the context or the idea of it. And this is contrast because in our world that we live in today, there are church leaders and pastors, and thank God they're not here in this church, but that are in it for the money, that are in it to fleece their flock and not there for the right kind of purpose. And, and Christ has given this admonition as a reminder for how, uh, what they're truly like. Third part from this analogy, the shepherd knows his sheep. Right, so when the shepherd is standing there, not only do the sheep know the shepherd, right? We saw that response in the video. They come to the shepherd. The shepherd knows the sheep. So in one sense, very literally, he knows which sheep are his versus the sheep that belong to somebody else. And again, Christ is like that as well. He knows those that are truly his followers and those that are not, that are sheep of another shepherd. Uh, But even more than that, that Christ knows his sheep, the good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows each one of us intimately. He knows what our challenges are. He knows what we struggle with. He knows the things that we think are our strengths. Um, He knows uh, what we're dealing with in life. He knows the challenges that we're facing. And by knowing that, he's there to care for them. Because the shepherd, when he had a flock of sheep, he knew which ones were gonna be the stragglers, he knew which ones were weak and maybe couldn't be, needed to be carried up a steep hill. Uh, he knew which ones were likely to get lost and wander away. And it's that same way with Christ. He knows us and he knows us intimately. It describes it in that passage as being like the same way that the Father knows the Son, meaning that God the Father knows his Son Christ, uh, being the same way that God or Christ knows us. So there's this kind of intimate knowledge that's there uh, that's important because it's part of the way through which we know that we can be cared for by that good shepherd. And then finally, the good shepherd is still gathering his flock. That's what we see in verse 16. And the only, the context for which to understand verse 16 is the idea that the Pharisees Uh, Those Jewish religious leaders believed a few things. They believed you had to be Jewish to be accepted by God. 
They believed that you had to follow the law and you had to follow all of their extra rules as well. So uh, what Christ is saying here is in direct contrast to that. He's saying there's a group of sheep that are out there that are still in the process of collecting and they aren't part of this current flock. What he's saying is that there are uh, individuals who are not Jewish, because at this point the, whole, the people, the audience for Christ has been the Jewish people of his day. He's saying that there are Gentiles that are also gonna come and be part of this flock. And for all of us here, we should be saying, thank you, Jesus, right? Um, and what's really important about this, is he says they become one flock with one shepherd. This is amazing. This is saying that regardless of your ethnic identity, your racial background, whether you came from wealth or poverty, um, you know, whatever, what, whatever religious tradition you even begin, it's saying regardless of any of that, once you accept Christ as Savior, once you recognize him as Savior, you become part of one flock with one shepherd, the good shepherd. That's a, it's a great thing because uh, it just creates this unity that exists all around the world with people who are followers of God that are, are shepherds or sheep that are part of his flock. I wanna conclude with just one question for you. Remember in that video uh, that we showed, the shepherd stood there and he was calling his sheep and his sheep responded to it. And I wanna challenge you with this thought today. If you uh, aren't sure whether you're part of that flock, that you're not sure that you're a sheep that is following the true one good shepherd, um, he's calling you today. Just like that shepherd was calling those sheep. And he's, he's calling you and you have a chance to respond, to become part of that flock of Christ. I just would challenge you with that thought as we leave today. If you haven't accepted Christ, if you haven't accepted the work that he's done, today could be the day that makes a difference where you make a decision to become part of that flock. He's not forcing you into something. He's leading the way, calling you out like that shepherd does and directing you in a path that would take you to what he wants for your life. He wants eternal life and life abundantly. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. God, thank you, thank you for being uh, the good shepherd for us, Lord. You desire what's best for us like a good shepherd does. You protect us from the evil, the bad and tough things of life, Lord. You want to be that door to us, uh, for Christ to be that door for us that takes us to you, takes us into relationship with you, Lord. For the folks in this congregation today, Lord, I just, my heart's desire, my hope for them is that as a shepherd calls, that they would respond Lord, our hope, our desire is that for those of us that are followers of you, that we're listening for your voice and we're responding as well and seeking to be on that path that you have us on that takes us to the good things that you have for us. Lord, that we would truly be living an abundant life here on earth. And Lord, as our ushers come forward right now, and we conclude our service today, Lord, we just would ask that these tithes, these offerings that are being given this morning, would be used to further your kingdom. Your, the purpose that you've given us in our lives is to be your hands and feet. And it's through these resources that you give this church that we can do that in the, the city of Redlands and uh, in the region and, and even around the world through the missionaries that we support, Lord. God, I just would ask that you would bless uh, each and every giver, Lord, and uh, thank you for your provision. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. 
listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.